Coming up this week, off-screen... We smooth out a wrinkle in time. Pacific Rim plays host to an uprising. Claire Foy is unsane. Mark Felt brings down the White House. Chinese animation has a nice day. The Japanese legal system tries the third murder. And Vivian Westwood is a punk, an icon, and an activist. All those to come and more, off-screen. This is... This is off-screen. Off-screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Ooh, welcome Offscreen, I'm Vancouver. And I'm John Coulson. Thank you so much for stepping in, by the way, John, for yeah, no the worries. case this week. It's his birthday this week, you see, and he's got a lot of teaching work on, so we thought, we were actually out for his birthday last night for dinner, and we thought we'd give him the week off huh, and, and draft birthday. you in, uh, because it just seemed unlikely that he could make it. Yeah. Well, that and hangover. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, we did get the pleasure of me texting you and saying, guess what, you know when we do the show, we get to talk about Pacific Rim too. I know. So, you know, there's, there's, there's that. Uh, so, um, before we get to, uh, well, this is going to be a bit of a weird one, do you want to cover film? news this week can you look up our film news and tell us what we've got to talk about or? um probably not very well to probably be not very well <laughs> okay so this is basically gonna to have to be us in conversation with me doing most of it yeah so if you just talk at me and then hopefully i can be the everyone else you, you can sort of represent you be the audience pov yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> that's your assigned role in a screenplay that is our lives i like it okay so a piece of film news uh to kick us off uh this week yes you were a fan, I believe, of Thor Ragnarok. Oh, yes. B- okay. Big fan. Yeah, I think I saw it with you, didn't I? I yeah. Saw it with you. yeah. Um, so, I, what was one of the great things about Thor Ragnarok was it was Thor and Valkyrie. Yes. Remember how great they were? Yeah. They were really cool, weren't they? Really good. So, uh, Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth are going to be reteaming. They're going to team up for another movie. Nice. And, and they're going to be sort of uh, buddy action heroes again. All right. Yeah. And this has to do with news recently that Chris Hemsworth had got a new job as the lead in the new Men in Black series. Oh, what? Yes. So, Tessa Thompson is going to be our woman in black. Cool. Yeah, that's kind of cool, isn't it? And there's apparently going to be an older man who's like the third member of the team as well. So, Who do we want for that? <sighs> Obviously, Tommy Lee Jones is kind of ruled out. Yeah, part, uh, he's my go-to. In my head, then I was going to be like, Tom- "Oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah no. <laughs> he's my go-to." Uh, I don't know. If we look around the room, uh, uh, Pierce Brosnan. Pierce, Pierce Brosnan's, Brosnan's yeah, yeah. He's out there. I don't think Arnie would work. <laughs> <laughs> it would be brilliant. Oh, Stallone would absolutely work. Yeah, just deadpan Stallone in like full Clint Eastwood mode. That would work. Does his face move? Is he, has he got any other mode? Exactly. Oh, Guardians mode. Like when he's being really stern in Guardians yeah. too. That that would totally he's actually work. Actually, great in Guardians. He too. kind of is, isn't yeah. he? For like really minimal role. Anyway, so uh, Tessa Thompson. Chris Hemsworth, going to team up again after Thor Ragnarok for Men in Black 4, or whatever it's going to be called, Men in Black reboot call, I don't know. But it is following on from the previous Men in Black films. I'm looking forward to it. So like the way Jurassic World happens, same thing here. It's just going to be taking place in a different place. Yeah, perfect. So cool. It's cool. You know, time's passed. I like it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I'm still annoyed that we never got the sequel I ever really wanted, which was, you know, that one that the, they hint at at the end of the first Men Black, where they have the really cool suits, yeah. and she's an agent, yeah. and they have a cool car. Oh, yeah, the Doctor, and yeah, yeah. yeah. And then when they open Men Black 2, it's like back to the old the old basics. It's a little bit like down. Old busted ride, as, yeah. as Will called it. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was a real disappointment to me. <laughs> anyway. So, um, we've got stuff to cover haven't we? We've got to be grown-ups and, and do 
like review stuff. Yeah, <laughs> grown ups <laughs> ish. Okay, so uh, let's see. Uh, we've got to plug the podcast. That's that's a thing. You're a podcast fan. You're, I am. You're a bigger podcast fan than I am. I believe. Well, I do a lot of driving for work, so oh, of course you do. Yeah, I so. listen to a lot of podcasts. Is it, there an MMA podcast that you don't listen to? Or uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> and this one. <laughs> so we're MMA and this. That's your wheel park. So you can find our podcast edition in iTunes, yep. uh, Acast, yep. in Deezer, yep. in TuneIn, in all of their search archives. We are in there. So off screen, one word. It's in there. Download it. There's more after the end credits. There's yeah, there is. There's podcast extras, and it ends with a moment in a cage. And if you don't know what that is, um, your life yeah. is about to change. Anyway, um, <laughs> in the meanwhile, there's stuff you can win as well. we got swag. We love giving swag away. You've won swag in the past, I believe. So. I have won yeah. swag, yeah. I mean, it wasn't down to like any kind of uh, nepotism or anything. It was just down to the fact that like four people listened to this back then. So it was a oh. one in four chance of you winning. So It's got to be some sort of benefit of being an OG. <laughs> exactly. OG fan, when no one else could win. Um, let's see. Uh, this week we're giving away Paddington 2 gift sets. We've got the Blu-ray gift sets. you like a little sandwich box. I was going to say Pins these, and everything. You, you, you guys sounded excited about we, the sandwich box. Because we all love Paddington. That's what it is. Yeah, uh, we also got uh, DVD copies of Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman to give away, which I loved. That was such a good movie. It's not as good as Paddington 2, obviously. But I think I was around for the review of that. I think you might have been. Yeah. yeah. In fact, yes, I think you were. Nice. But, uh, yeah, so it's, it's not as good as Paddington 2, because nothing is. But there we are. <laughs> but go on to onscreenfilm.com, uh, go in the competition section, loads of swag to be won in there, and let's review a film. Okay. Go to that. Yeah. So, uh, where should we start? Wrinkling time? Wrinkling time. Okay. This is on buses everywhere, this at the moment. You do love a good bus. I love a good bus ad. <laughs> That's how, because back in the day, before film trailers and the internet, before the internet made film trailers such a regular, everyday thing. Yeah. You know, you only saw a trailer for a movie when you went to see another movie. Exactly. And you only went to like one movie a month back in the 90s. So back in the sort of early 90s, isn't it? That's true. Yeah. So the only way you heard about a film was when it was on the side of a bus. Yeah. So, oh, look, Bruce is back. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Terminator 2 now? <laughs> you know, that was how you heard about films and that's why you know the late 80s early 90s were a depressing time to live in yeah so yeah so going on with the wrinkle in time which is uh written and directed by ava duvenay um who most notably directed selma directed 13 uh you know one of the biggest names around she has finally taken on a major studio project okay um something more in the mainstream and it is it is this is a wrinkle in time which is an adaptation of what has been called an unfilmable novel and oh. now that's a term I, I want to get into with you at some point. I might say that podcast extras. We yeah. just talk about what the hell unfilmable actually means. There's so many books that are unfilmable. Yeah, like yeah exactly. Yeah. Watchmen is unfilmable. Yeah. Just like, delete half the extraneous subplots and, you know, then <laughs> just there. Do the stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is it. Based on the novel, uh, this takes the form of uh, a young girl and her, uh, a young sort of preteen girl and her younger brother who wind up going off into on a journey through the cosmos in search of their long missing father, played by Chris Pine, who okay. is uh, like this visionary Harlan Ellison, you know, just Arthur C. Clarke style, just a seer of the future, as it oh, were. Right, yeah. And he has found a way to tap his brain into the frequency um, of love that allows him to access the Tesseract, and as it's referred to, Tesser himself through space and time. And he's gone to the other end of the galaxy, but in the per- in the real world, it's been like seven years, and they just think he's dead, and the little girl gets to go off and do the whole journey to find him. And here's a clip of, of the little girl asking uh, some plants if they've seen him. And and their subsequent responses. This is our father. Can you help us find him, please? 
can't tell what they're saying. I can. They speak color. Oh, he did? Oh, really? Oh, don't say. Yep, he was here. They saw him tesser here. But he continued to explore, they say. Somewhere in that direction. Let's go! Okay, um, well, one, it's weird to see you talking along to clips. <laughs> and, <laughs> but two, um, please tell me that Chris Pine's cool in it, because he's cool in everything. Chris Pine's the best thing about this film. Yeah, there we go. And, uh, th- okay, first of all, the, the film has this very weird um, sort of tone to it. It's played in this very playful, almost stage-like way. You heard how they were delivering dialogue. Yeah. It's all like that. And it felt very much, in a, in a weird sense, that you could compare it to uh, The Lobster or The Killing of a Sacred Deer. One of those by Yorgos uh, Lantimos. I forget his name. Lantimos, I think you it was. You know, I don't do names. Um, but you know, the, the Colin Farrell ones, that yeah. are, they're played in that way, that they're like this deranged stage play. This has that going for it. Okay. The thing is, I don't think it realises it does. Uh-huh. Chris Pine certainly doesn't. So Chris Pine actually acts as if he's in the film that he should be in that the film actually should be so chris pine is not only better than the film in and of himself he basically is using the fact that he's better to demonstrate how absolutely inferior the rest of the film is and this is a film that everybody wanted to be brilliant it had to be brilliant because it was coming after black panther which did the high profile african-american filmmaker uh, i believe uh first uh, black woman filmmaker to ever be put uh, in charge of a film with a budget of more than 100 million so there's a lot riding on it but you can't get past the part that the performance Performances don't work within the playful, sort of, you know, cheeky, otherworldly Alice in Wonderland nature of it. Yeah. That performance doesn't work. It needed to be played straight. There's simply too much to too much to the otherworldliness of it okay and by the end of it you think if you were playing this straight you would have to actually stop and explain certain things and because you're doing it that way you're kind of just coasting through and it feels very lazy the special effects aren't there to really make the world that believable even things like standing on a hilltop things like that just look like they're shot against a green screen and you do come away from it all thinking wow that was really disappointing I mean, I've heard it. A, a, a mutual friend of ours compared it to uh, taking acid and then binge watching RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay. That's that's one. Qu- and I can't entirely disagree with that because I mean, it just feels like well, not even RuPaul's en- literally any colourful show. Yeah. You could put a Power Rangers cartoon on after taking acid. <laughs> this is probably the movie you would would conjure in your head. There's simply too much to it, and it would seem that at one point they reach this crescendo where they fall into a new trick. Very, and this is say about the end of the. Third act, uh, the first act, sorry, where they suddenly decide this needs to be about something. Let's throw out concepts. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. Like, this is going to be our moral. This is going to be our theme. But they never settle on what it is. Oh. And the, one of the great things about having used that clip is there's a moment in there in which uh, Reese Witherspoon says, "Oh, they talk color. They speak color." Yeah. You think, oh, hang on, hang on. They're not going to be that subtle about it, are they? Surely they couldn't be. And then you realise that you're having this entire scene take place beneath a 300-foot-tall version of Oprah Winfrey as this literal deity figure. And you think, okay, so hang on, they speak in colour and Oprah's God. Uh, I think I know what the subtext might be to this. But that doesn't even go anywhere. <laughs> that, that sort of gets dealt with like they don't even dealt with that it just gets ignored yeah. 20 minutes later and we're back on to okay now it's about how people who believe in science and, and the power of the universe they are better than people who turn inward inward to things like religion okay right so it's about that for another 10 minutes then it's a love story adventure 
for 10 minutes. Then it's a movie, and you're like, I, I, you know, it's a movie about sacrifice, it's a movie about parenting. And it's all of these movies for a couple of minutes at a time. Yeah. And it's... <sighs> You know when you go to one of those Cosmo-like restaurants, those all-you-can-eat smorgasbords, you think, rather than just have a plate that's two-thirds curry, I'm going to have a little pocket of everything. This is that as a movie, shot by Ava DuVernay, who I think we pretty much all agreed should have been at least nominated for Best Director for Selma, and wasn't. She would never in a million years get nominated for anything for this. And I wouldn't honestly want to live in a world in which she did, because this is so undeserving. This is a huge step down. A misfire. This is uh, Alice Through the Looking Glass, multi Multiplied by that awful Dungeons and Dragons movie they made 15, 20 years ago, uh, mixed with Avatar. That's the best way to describe it. I mean, at one point, one of the characters transforms into a giant flying lettuce woman. And that's an actual thing, by the way. I'm not re paraphrasing that or anything. A giant flying lettuce woman, and you just look at it and think, huh. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen, the on screen radio show. That was an unnecessarily angry I didn't play after that, and I absolutely apologize. It fit, be- it fit beautifully. That was terrible. And we only went two minutes over, so win for us. Yeah, this is good for us. Okay, well, let's talk about one then that I, I really liked. And you'll have seen this on buses as well. Yes. Uh, this is Unsane. I hate that name. You hate that name? Yeah. It's because it's it's like that line from The Simpsons, that me fail English. That's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Um, do you remember two years ago there was a film called Tangerine? It was directed by Sean Baker, who did Florida Project recently. Uh, yeah, 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 I do. It was yeah. it was the one that was shot on an iPhone. Yeah. That was its big notable thing. Now, I didn't particularly like Tangerine. Wasn't a fan of it at all. Um, and but I did I did recognise that there was some some vision behind it. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Florida Project came by, and I thought, okay, so this I'm kind of in on this. I get the Sean Baker thing now. That's fine. This is Steven Soderbergh doing the Tangerine trick, though. All right. So Steven Soderbergh, you know that guy who threatens to retire every single time he write, he makes a movie. Yeah. Is back again. Um, for his 19th comeback. Likes a, and likes a good uncle. That's it. He's decided he's going to do the iPhone thing, but he's going to use an iPhone 7 and 7, iPhone 6. So, you know, it's all good. It's all yeah. good. There's this trick. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's this class. Yeah. You know, there's not like it's a baseless, baseless reason to, to do the iPhone. There's thing. a new mode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to show these things off. We're doing panoramic next. Anyway. <laughs> So, uh, what you've got is a story of a young woman, played by Claire Foy. Uh, her name's Sawyer. Sawyer has recently relocated. She's moved ac- moved away from uh, her hometown. Um, she started a new life with a new job somewhere else after an incident whereby she was stalked okay. by what she was a carer, I believe, and it was uh, one of her patients. It was her patient's son, her dying patient's son. Yeah. And he formed a, a sort of obsession with her and stalked her. She's relocated. Now, she's obviously got serious paranoia about it. Yes. And she's, she's having visions where she sees him leaping out or in alleyways and things like that. Um, she goes to a uh, you know clinic, seeks professional help as yeah. one as one does. Signs a couple of consent forms as one does, yeah. and then finds out that through the miracle of American insurance scams, which I was shocked to read are actually a thing, oh, wow. um, she is effectively duped and uh, into signing herself into a mental asylum for seven. Well, for initially for twenty four hours, then for seven days, and it keep, the time keeps ratcheting up. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, and while she's in there, and she decides, okay, I have to do the good thing and just wait for the insurance to run out. Yeah. It'll run out soon enough, and then they have to let me go, which is seemingly how it's done. Um, while she makes her mind up to do that the stalker turns up but he's not the stalker he's an employee of the clinic what could possibly be going on has he actually sideshow bobbed or uh, or max kd'd his way into her life once more or is it all in her head here is a, a clip of her basically getting her bearings when she's first committed 
There's been some kind of mistake. Your name is Sawyer Valentini. You know that already. By signing this, you've consented to voluntary commitment for 24 hours. No. The council said the form's a routine. You signed it. Look, you're just doing your job. And uh, you've been so considerate of my feelings and my well-being. And you're right. I signed those papers. I'm here by my own volition. It's for my own good. Can I ask, do you think I could just make a phone call just to let my family know that I'm okay, let them know where I am? You got a phone call? That's allowed. Oh, you're so nice. So Claire Foy there, getting her lay of the land, as it were, which is to say, not one that she's going to be able to conquer very easily. Um, this has two really terrific performances at the centre of it. And there's Claire Foy, obviously, who's the big, been the big, big breakout of uh, the Queen on uh, Queen the Crown on Netflix. Netflix yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously she's going to be the next uh, girl, the Dragon Tattoo. That's, that's oh, the thing. Right, I think yeah. it's the end of this year. Um, so she's one half of the really great performances in this film. The other half is Joshua Leonard, who I didn't recognise for the longest time. I thought. I don't know who he is, but I know him from somewhere. And it turned out that he's like the villain in Scorpion. Uh, the TV show. That you <laughs> like nerd yeah. TV show? Yeah, that one. <laughs> he's he's like the evil nerd. Oh, right. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's like a recurring villain. Anyway, um, they're really, really great performances, though. And they absolutely... Because obviously the film hinges on you questioning whether which which solution is more plausible yeah. what the situation actually is it hinges on keeping you going with that for a good long time now i do think they dropped the ball on it a bit too soon uh, I'd, I'd have played it out a little longer because I, I do feel they give it up a little too easily oh, right, right. but um the performances by both claire Foy and joshua leonard i think are terrific and they sell that that intrigue they sell that duality and that equal possibility with absolute aplomb with absolutely brilliant pair of performances um Directorially, um, aside from the uh, the iPhone Seven, was it the Seven, the Seven Plus? Do we know? I don't know. Do we? Um, I I'm don't, not sure. I don't know if it's come out or not. Really, sadly, I could probably tell you by the way the camera looks. Oh. Isn't is entirely possible. <laughs> um, we'll find a shot. Like, watch the trailer later. We'll see. Um, but yeah, outside of the fact that it's the iPhone, um, he served as his own editor, his own cinematographer as well, Soderbergh. Oh. Um, so it, it just kind of seems like any of his usual efforts. It doesn't seem better or worse. The film is great anyway. It's a really gripping, suspenseful chiller. And, uh, and I had a lot of fun with it and just, just enjoying the sort of Cape Fear slash Cuckoo's Nest element of it. I had a lot of fun with that. And I think Soderbergh is as good as he's ever been with it. He, he does slick execution like nobody else and applying it to the bug house asylum thing here absolutely works uh, but it is all about this, the, the screenplay it is all about uh, the, the, the way in which written um, I'm trying to remember the names of the writers it was Jonathan Bernstein and James Greer wrote this and they obviously they know their influences and they do wear them proudly on their sleeve not like Ready Player One yeah. extent but you know they wear their influences very proudly on their on their sleeve and there's, there's little callbacks to things like Cuckoo's Nest and Shutter Island oh, I like you and, and I like you and things do just little nods yeah. Yeah, stay away from Ready Player One <laughs> okay. Okay. I think, I think we're all embargoed, I think, but uh, I don't, no, we're not embargoed anymore. We can talk about that. Um, but yeah, stay away from that for the same reason. But yeah, so many great nods. It's it's like a really um, a very reverential homage to just classic bug house, you know, held against your will, asylum chillers. And yep, totally down for that. I, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it again on a smaller screen. I've I just really took into it. Oh. But it's nice when that happens. It is, it is, especially because they had a really good trailer. So. But you say you're like worried it could be potentially quite bad. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the trailers where you want to see it, but then you, you kind of worry that it's, it's not going to be 
Ah, fair yeah. enough. Um, reboot news, because, you know, it's been like four minutes. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> reboot news. You know they're rebooting the grudge. Why? I don't know. I know. I mean, if you ain't getting SMG, then, like, why bother, dog? Oh, but, um, yeah, so... <laughs> if you're going to uh, if you're gonna reboot The Grudge, though, you need someone to star in it. And they've gotten uh, Lin Shay uh, from the... Uh, is it Insidious series? I think it's the Insidious series. Oh, I've avoided them. Have you avoided them? Yeah. Well, I also remember her as the neighbour in Something About Mary, but... Uh, all right. But, yeah, so they're rebooting The Grudge. Lin Shay's going to be in it. Probably going to be all right, I'd imagine. It's not. It's going to be rubbish. <laughs> Wait, we don't know that. Could be good. We don't know. But anyway, we've got like three reviews to bolt through really quickly, and these are going to be really quick reviews. So, oh, shoot. On we go. I got life. Okay. Which I, want, I wanted to make it like, I got worms from Dumb and Dumber, but it didn't quite play. But <laughs> I got life. But that's not actually its title. This is a French comedy, and in France it is actually called Aurora. Okay. Uh, you know, for the central character, and you can't help but think, well, the name kind of translates. Yeah. It's her name. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the last film we accepted Sawyer as a name. <laughs> yes, we accepted Sawyer Valentini <laughs> as a name. I mean, you know, easy on the teeny. But uh, anyway, going back to Aurora, um, this is this is sort of a, a middle aged uh, empty nest dramedy kind of a thing. It's a uh, French comedy. It stars uh, Agnes Jouy, um, and it is the story of a recent. She's not recently divorced, but she's sort of she's getting to that stage where she's been divorced for a little while her uh, oldest daughter is now starting a family of her own her youngest daughter is having you know her first forays into adult life kind oh, okay. of college age kind yeah. of time. um and her sort of love of her life ex flame kind of crosses paths with her one day re-enters the picture and uh, they they don't so much begin a new relationship, they attempt to get to know each other once more. And it's basically about this point in Aurora's life and how she feels the pressures of being middle-aged at work, how she feels like she's nearing the end of her time in, you know, the, a younger woman's working climate, um, her dealings with a very corrupt boss, and, of course, this relationship that's blossoming at the same time, as well as all of the chaos going on with her kids and her ex. Uh, we don't have a clip, obviously, because it's in French, but it is absolutely <laughs> superb. I mean, we do have a... We can find a French clip, I'm sure. Yeah. But, you know, it's just it's, it's not going to help most people. It's like thirty seconds that no one decides. Like you know, maybe twenty percent. No, it wouldn't be twenty percent, would it? Twenty percent of our audience wouldn't speak wouldn't speak French. It could do two, maybe two, maybe two. No, say, say two. twenty, and it makes it sound really cool. <laughs> we're not that elitist. <laughs> yeah, we're really. Not. Um, but you know, I really enjoyed it. I thought the performances were great. I thought uh, Blandine Noir uh, did a really great job staging it. Really great, great, great directorial execution. I really enjoyed it. And uh, it's the kind of film that if I saw actually was on telly one night, I would actually purposefully go out of my way to tune into, oh, which good. is something I'm not going to say about another film later on. Oh, okay. The Third Murder, which is, you know, I mean, as Nigel Andrews famously asked me as we were going in, does this is this a sequel? Did we miss the first two? Yeah. Is, it, is it essential that I saw the second murder? Which is basically just a random conversation that you would have with <laughs> Nigel Andrews, to be honest. I love that guy to death. Uh, so the third murder, which is a Japanese procedural thriller, for lack of a better term. Very much a sort of... Do you remember in, in the 90s when, you know, Western cinema went through that phase where we loved a good legal thriller? Yeah. You know, and they always started like Tom Cruise or Kevin Costner, and they were, they were a genuinely gripping thriller. Yeah. Right, imagine that, but Japanese, and now. And actually, really, really gripping. I, I, I couldn't turn away from I was going to say, I'm already in. Just yeah. Um, one of those films where the drama is drama sucks you in so hard that you the fact that it is a subtitled film absolutely washes away and you, you genuinely dissolve into it. Um, 
I really loved it. I thought the the it's because it is a it's a sort of a basic enough whodunit or why done it as it were, but uh, it goes off and explores its characters in really intriguing ways, and it, it creates subplots out of little personal character arcs that I I really did sucker for. I thought it was a really genuinely biting film. I thought, yeah. Yeah, this is really, really something. I'm trying to remember the name, director. Hirakuza Karida. Oh, well. Hirakazu. Hirakazu Karida. Almost there. Hirakazu Karida. Yeah, I I really loved this. I was on the edge of my seat for a lot of it. And this is, you know, two hours and like five minutes. So this is not a short ride. But I was absolutely gripped by it. And the fact that it was two hours and five minutes just didn't phase me at all. I was just, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Totally. Gimme. Have a nice day, Mr. Colson. I will. Which is a Chinese uh, animated film. It is uh, very... I'm going to show you some of the artwork on here. Can you kind of tell around for you? Can you see the sort of artwork that's popping up on here? Yeah. It's very, uh, very uniquely styled artwork. It has a sort of adult swim quality to it. Yeah. Um, but it is, for all intents and purposes, it plays like a, a, a Frank Miller adaptation. <laughs> Frank Miller adaptation if it was animated by the people behind BoJack Horseman. Yeah. And imagine <laughs> that in Chinese. And you've got Have a Nice Day, which I thought was was really great. I really loved this. Oh, it, it looks fantastic. It's it's kind of as an experience sitting there watching it. You feel like that first time you saw a scanner darkly, and you thought, I "Knew you were going to say." Yeah, that. and you just think to yourself, "I don't know if I can sit through an entire film of this, to be honest, yeah. or if I'm really going to let this hold my attention." Uh, Loving Vincent actually had the same kind oh. of effect on me. Um, but yeah, you do you do kind of go along with it because again, the the, the writing is there, the story is there, the performances really nail it. Uh, really, just. Gorgeous animation, though, in that say that Adult Swim kind of way. Yeah. But seeing it executed, like with clearly with some some love for the love for the for the frame, and and actually putting a genuine you know adult story behind it, I really enjoyed. And the fact that it played like a Frank Miller movie to me, yeah, I thought good. went uh, great. I felt like I was reading a, a graphic novel in the nineties again. Perfect. <clears throat> but yeah, so those are our uh, three foreign language releases for the week <laughs> yeah. that we've wrapped up entirely in rapid fire session. On to the next block. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back, Mr. Coulson. Yes. So, um, should we do the uh, box office, you know, the thing, the, 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 the top five? Do you want to do the top five? I'd, I'd love to. Number five. Are you not Grey Squirrel? Huh? Are you not Grey Squirrel? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Red Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I say it every week. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to get a clip of Dom Jolly to do it. Yeah. That's absolutely what I'm doing. <laughs> I didn't expect it. Uh, you know, Red Sparrow, I, I didn't like. I really, I wanted to like this because I, I can see the intent behind it. And the intent, I think, yes, please make that movie. And in fact, I do hope someone does try, again, to oh. make the movie about how oh, Russian female seductress spy using, her, you know, her weapon is sex. You know, her body is the weapon. That's, yeah. I, I love that. I think that's a great idea for a for especially setting it in Russia now, rather than, as you expected from the trailer, it to be set during the Cold War. Yeah. And I, th- I thought this would be set in the 80s. I thought this was going to be basically, you know, a Russian set uh, atomic blonde rather than... Oh, right, yeah. And then you get this, you think, okay, it's not that atomic blonde. Fine, I'm good with that. You're doing the seductress body as a weapon thing. Brilliant! Okay, let's do that. And then it's dull, and it doesn't work, and it sits on a dividing line between being too smart for its own good and too dumb for its own good. And a Occasionally, there's some nudity, and it's very uncomfortable. I mean, this, this is a movie that makes sex very uncomfortable, I'm not going to lie. Um, I couldn't get on with it at all. 
Um, Twitter sort of agrees. Excellent. Because uh, Jordan underscore Pincomb says, Red Sparrow was two and a half hours of rape scenes and unnecessary gore. Hashtag don't take your parents. Good advice. Okay. Number four. The Greatest Showman, also known as Everybody's Shower Playlist. <laughs> oh, you as well, huh? Yeah. It's definitely in your house. Because yeah, I, I always put This Is Me on in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> I like This Is Me and the, the one he sings when he, the, during the growing up montage when he's with the little girl that becomes I Michelle. I haven't Holland. actually seen it. You've not seen The Greatest Showman? No, oh, it's, it's, it, do you know what? You should watch it. I think you'd love it. I think you'd really enjoy it. Yeah. He does have the feeling of going to the circus. Oh, that's cool. And, and I love that about it. And I wish I'd gotten to see it in IMAX. I saw it in the 20th Century Fox screening room, uh, which I think he'd probably been in at some point during our London travels together. <laughs> I think so. But... Um, yeah, I, and it, it was still a great enough experience on a standard screen to me, but like, I'm thinking, if I saw this in IMAX, and that was the first time I saw it, that would absolutely blow my socks off. IMAX is the best. But it is a great film, and Hugh Jackman's never been better in it, and Zac Efron's there being Zephron in that way that only Zephron can. And uh, I, I loved it. I had a great time with it, and I'm not surprised. I'm I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that it stuck around this long. But uh, Sing-along shows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, anyone tweeted on the matter? Uh, yeah, so, movie fan 19 underscore. We, we've already had the first 98 on, so I wouldn't worry. All right, cool. He says, um, people actually think The Greatest Showman is better than La La Land. LMAO. Touché. Mm, I did enjoy La La Land. Number three. Number three. Black Panther. Which you've seen. I have. Did you love? Yes. Although, I I, right. Right, go on. Go on. Got one issue. One issue, yeah. So, um... A certain fight scene yeah. happens on a certain... I'm trying to do it without explaining anything. Okay. But yeah. basically, there's two people in sort of suits fighting. Yeah. And they CGI as much of it as they can. And I'm just like, you've got two, like... In their prime, yeah, great shape actors. Yeah, I good know, actors in fantastic you shape. You see Bozeman during that water fight? Like, I know. Like, dude, this dude is cut. <laughs> just let them fight. <laughs> yeah. You sound, you, sound like, you sound like Ken Watanabe in Godzilla now. Let them fight. Yeah, let them fight. <laughs> but yeah, like it just, that bit bugged me. The but. CG, I do think, is ropey, but I think that throughout a lot of the film, I think, uh, in particular, the uh, the car se- the car chase sequence when he's leaping, backflipping off cars and running at buildings, I know that there's no real way to practically shoot that, yeah, but. but I do think it just looks a bit too false for its own good. And it's, it seems actually out of step with the general quality of a Marvel film in terms of its CGI. Yeah, uh, IMAX 3D, though, so sort of Hides the rope. Hides the blemishes. Because you're a bit like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, I love it, though. I think it's an absolute game changer. I think it's re- it's the, the adrenaline shot that the Marvel Cinematic Universe in particular needs, and it, by extension, the superhero subgenre. Even down to the soundtrack is... Oh, God, yeah. It's just great. There's a reason we use that Kendrick with everyone. Yeah, like, I'm a metalhead, so, like... <laughs> and I think that soundtrack's great, so... Who's tweeted that? Um, so, J underscore Ive says, I want to go see Black Panther again. Uh, crying face. Number two. Tomb Raider. Which we don't have a clip for because I couldn't find the sound of a crypt being made. made <laughs> um, which I think is very good. Surely I, I could have got the like beginning of Thriller or something. Oh, yes. Think of that. We'll, we'll do that next week. Yeah. Um, 
Tomb Raider I, I enjoyed very much, and I enjoyed it as a straight action film. And I like that just for once it was about the fact that they were making a film first, and the fact that it was based on a video game felt very secondary. Even when they were restaging you know, big action sequences from the game, yeah. it did feel like you were still watching a film first and foremost. All right. Yeah. And that that fan service was, and you know, that, that's there, obviously, but it doesn't overwhelm the experience. Now, I'm not overly familiar with the games, to be honest, but you do get that with things you aren't a fan of. I've played this game. You play this one. And it's great. I've got Calvin's coffee on my coffee, uh, coffee, coffee on my coffee table. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, signed by Camilla Luddington as well. <laughs> nice. Jammy gear, I know. It's Calvin. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the game's great and it, it really does play like it could be made into a film. Mm. So the fact that they've made the it. best games now seem to, don't yeah. they? Yeah. So the fact that they've made it into a film, but then gone film first, game second. Yeah. Seems to really work. I like everything. I like a lot of the stuff about it. I like Dominic West as her dad. I like Walton Goggins as the villain because I'm a huge WG man. I was going to say, he could but literally just walk past in the background holding dude, a coffee and you'd I be know. like, Walton Goggins was great, innit? I know, I know. <laughs> I was like, one person I would absolutely adore to interview would be Walton Goggins. Um, Alicia Vikander, though, as, as Lara Croft, yeah, she's got it. It works. She's got the physical side of it down. She knows how to play it as if it's, you know, as if this is genuinely hurting her to do. Um, and okay, maybe there's a little bit of spottiness in the accent. And I have heard Alicia Vikander, you know, with an English accent in several films, you know, looking yeah. at things like Testament of Youth, looking at things like Man from Uncle. And she sounds better in those. So I don't know why she sounds like that in this, but it's like Charlie Hunnam. Who can tell? Yeah. Yeah. It's Charlie Hunnam syndrome. Nobody can be perfect at accents. Okay. But uh, so has anyone tweeted? Uh, the only Troy ever says, hey, Tomb Raider was good. Go out and see it. Number one. Peter Rabbit. D- just don't see it. Just please don't see it. I, I promise you. I used to have a little money box on my windowsill that had Peter Rabbit on. Are you trying to tell me that you had a childhood? Yeah. I had a childhood too. <laughs> I think everyone's childhood feels undermined by the existence of this film, which has absolutely no faith in the material whatsoever. You know that cutesy British tone yeah. of Beatrix Potter? That timeless, almost regal Victorian quality of Beatrix Potter. You look at those classic illustrations. Yeah. And, yeah. And think of all that, and then imagine someone looked at it and went, meh. I want to do an Alvin and the Chipmunks movie, no. but I want it to be set in Richard Curtis land. <laughs> and then we'll get, who's, who's that guy? Donut Gleason? Domino Gleason. We'll get him. And, and, ah, screw it. Get me the chick from the, the bridesmaid. She'll do. Yeah. Her. And that's how you wound up with James Corden starring in Peter Rabbit, a film that, honest to God, isn't funny, isn't particularly gripping, is only interesting in scenes that don't involve the animal characters, which tells you an awful lot about a film called Peter Rabbit. Yeah. And yeah. Done. Not into how this got to number one. This usurped Black Panther. So my question is this British public, what is wrong with you? Go and see Black Panther again. Don't indulge this. Maybe it was parents being like... I hope those parents feel ashamed of themselves. Yeah, they probably do now. And I hope they came out of that film and thought, oh man, we should have seen Black Panther again. Yeah. Like, that was just... <laughs> like, the was... Tweet <laughs> like the tweet said. Like the tweet said. Did anyone tweet about Peter Rabbit? Uh, yeah, so Logan Kenny won. Okay. Oh, the first one. The first one. Yeah, the first, yeah. uh, Peter Rabbit, bewildering, at times the most agitating movie to ever exist. Seems, not far from Seems no, harsh. Has no, no. uh, uh, the most obnoxious vocal performance I've ever heard from James Corden. That's and true. Downright cruel at some points. And I've heard him sing Circle of Life. Wow. <laughs> it's genuinely sweet romance in it. Mm, uh, would probably go without taking animals. Talking, even. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, all right, okay. We don't have time for a news piece. Let's just go straight into a review of Mark Felt. I almost said Mark Felt for some reason. Mark Felt. So, Mark Felt, uh, a.k.a. Mark Felt, colon, the man who brought down the White House, formerly known as the secret man, colon, Mark Felt. 
I, I'm not making this up. This is an actual thing. <laughs> we call it Liam Neeson predator, uh, President Puncher. <laughs> Liam Neeson President Puncher, which would be... You know what? I would much rather have seen that movie than this one. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, right. So, the way this works is Liam Neeson is Mark Felt, Associate Director of the FBI. Now... When Hoover dies, obviously there becomes this whole element of succession. Who is it going? To, is it going to be one of Hoover's lieutenants who steps okay. up to fill the void? And obviously, the next in line is Liam Neeson's character, uh, you know, Mark Felt, imaginatively enough. And um, <clears throat> I realise I should have kind of begun this with the ending, but never mind. Yeah, okay. Right. Um, however, um, the government, the Nixon's administration, decide instead they want to install someone new. They hire Martin Sokas's character, whose name I've absolutely forgotten. How am I? Oh, Patrick Gray, that's it. Uh, they hire Gray to oversee, and he's a bit more laid back, a bit more willing to work with the White House, if you catch my drift, given that this is the Nixon administration. <laughs> and uh, Mark Felt decides he owes it to the country to let the truth get out there. And he becomes, and this has been proven by history now, Deep Throat. He becomes the spy, the the leaker, the informant, the whistleblower known as Deep Throat, so named for the popular movie at the time. And this is the story all about how his life got flipped, turned upside down. Here's a clip. Give us a minute. Get out. The FBI is an independent body. I'm aware of that. Are you also aware that means we don't need permission to do anything from anybody? You give that up just one time, you don't ever get it back. Ever. Let's not get dramatic. We don't even know what this is. That's right. We don't. But we're going to find out. That's what we do. You don't work for them. You're the director of the FBI now. So this comes from the director of Parkland, if you remember that, uh, the Kennedy assassination aftermath drama, okay. um, and also uh, Concussion. Remember Concussion, the Will Smith, Will Smith Oscar movie that never happened? Yeah. That one? Yeah. Also starred Alec Baldwin, so cheers, Will, for making an Alec Baldwin movie suck. But uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, the movie was fine. <laughs> it was absolutely fine. I just lash out for my boy Alec. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so Peter Landersman has written and directed this, and uh, directorially fine. You know, he's he's in there. He's got it. He's directing. You know, th- he's directing the great political thriller as far as he's concerned. Okay. His script tells a very different story, oh. and his script simply just doesn't provide some very basic requirements. Very basic requirements being he's he's willing to go and talk about what happened and and what events transpired and what Mark felt did when. Doesn't tell us how or why just tells us that he did so i'm just i think i think maybe there's some element of like screenwriting class that you 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 missed but i've i've seen concussion and parkland so i kind of know you can do it i mean okay. i mean come on pete this yes not filling this one in you're better than this <laughs> you're better than this yeah um liam neeson is obviously and you remember that thing about a year ago where liam neeson said he was gonna give up action movies yeah right i was reminded of that by this film because it feels like liam neeson is trying to return to a dramatic thriller right here and the problem is he's he's banking on the script helping him with that He's he's showing up giving it all that an action movie requires. Yeah. It's not an action movie. You know, he's trying to do it. It's a dramatic piece. But unfortunately, the script that gives him the foundation upon which to build a dramatic performance simply isn't there. Like I say, this is a movie that can't figure out the, you know, the, the why or how. Yeah. So, you know, the idea that they might remember to include character is obviously asking for far, far too much. <laughs> yeah, great supporting cast in there. Um, Ike Barinholtz from Bad Neighbours. He's in there. 
doing, doing serious stuff. Tony Goldwyn from Scandal. He's, okay. he's in there. Remember when he was in movies once? That yeah. was a thing. That was a thing, yeah. Thing. Josh Lucas. You know, that guy we all forget was in a Marvel movie once, you know, before they were Marvel movies. Which one? Let's not forget, Josh Lucas was one of the villains of Hulk. Oh, God. Remember that that one we don't think about anymore. Yeah, that one. Uh, Wendy McClendon Covey, Kate Walsh, Diane Lane. There's some great actors in here, like great performers, but they're kind of just left waiting in the wings because the story, you know, it won't. Get, there's no story. There's no character for the main character for the title character. So the idea that there's any supporting characters given any you know look in or development or time to shine. <laughs> <laughs> that's that. That's really asking for too much. Um, I wouldn't bother with it, to be honest. I think it was a, a bit of a waste of time. Um, hour 43, I could have chopped this down to 90, purely by removing a lot of the uh, slow, sullen silences. All right, yeah. And, you know, Liam Neeson looks bored in it. He sounds bored in the clip. He does, yeah. He just looks, in the face, bored. <laughs> you know that way whenever you see Gerard Butler now, you only see a dude who's got bee venom stuffed in his face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, imagine that, but bored. Okay. With the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen. The on-screen radio show. And we're back, Mr. Golston. So, uh, we're freshly caffeinated. That's fine. We are. We That's are. good. These things, these things run better with, with caffeine. Uh, so, uh, let's, uh, talk, let's talk about the film news. Uh, you know there's a Venom movie coming? I do know this. Yeah, I'm imagining you know this because of some sort of fitness and protein story or something my fiance fancies the actor oh that's it okay so nothing quite so complex nope. no okay <laughs> so you know that this uh there's been a whole thing they released a trailer they didn't show venom in a movie for venom yeah, yeah. uh they didn't tease really tease venom really in a movie in a movie trailer for the movie venom yeah they did a hulk film where like yeah yeah they did that with a hulk movie yeah. admittedly and none of us want to relive that yeah except josh lucas who must be ready to relive it forever <laughs> and ever <laughs> Except, I'll let you off, because, you know, you, you did that TV adaptation, that TV continuation of The Firm. That was pretty good, yeah, to be yeah, fair. Yeah. Uh, no, really, it was actually really gripping. I was, I was really taken in, but shame it got cancelled. Anyway, uh, apparently, we're not to expect that much Venom in Venom, in the movie itself. Apparently, it will mostly be uh, depicted, the Venom symbiote will mostly be depicted on Tom Hardy through, like, black veins and things, and then it'll turn into his full suit at the end film, in the in the final fight. This is a rumour we've got this week. So whether or not that's true, I mean, the thing is, I believe it. I could absolutely believe it. That they would think that was clever. Like I, 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 want, I want a noise that describes my face right now. How about the noise of Pacific Rim? God, I love that noise. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Pacific Rim. Yeah, then. buddy. It's just faintly more fun than that. I say faintly. Um, okay, right, you, you know me. You, you, you've known me for a long, long time. You, you knew me when Pacific Rim came out. Yes. You know I went to that film, not particularly expecting an awful lot. No. Uh, came out fanatical about this film. Like, wow, okay. So it's, it's Godzilla versus giant robots. And, you know, it, it just, it's got a lot of, and it's Guillermo del Toro's version of that. Yeah. So it's like murky and neon. I'm in. And it's Lantern Jordan. It's like Top Gun meets Power Rangers. I love it. I'm in. And then they made a sequel. Mm. And they made a sequel because the film didn't actually make that much in the US. But when they released it in China, where a decent chunk of the movie just happened to be set, <laughs> it made, <laughs> I'm not even kidding, it made so much money that they kind of fiscally had to make a sequel. Yeah, we rude not to. Yeah. So rather than just going down the route of, let's just actually lean into that and just have an old Chinese cast and, and actually just have this be set in China. What they've done is they've they've taken it a step further into the future. They've gone 10 years into the future past the end of Pacific Rim. Right. Um, the world has been saved, obviously, as we know from the last one. Um, we saw the film. 
Charlie Hunnam's dead, we're told, briefly, fleetingly, with no explanation. If you read the prequel novel to the movie, apparently, it does explain it, and it's bleak. Oh. And I'm not even... I'll tell you in a podcast actress, it's seriously bleak. Um... Idris Elba's surviving daughter now runs the Jaeger program, and the way this has worked is rather than like Independence Day, where they just protect, concentrate on protecting the planet, they didn't think the aliens would ever come back. Now we've got a world in which they're using Jaeger technology and they're rebuilding human civilization, but they constantly live with this notion they're going to come back eventually. They've got to. Yeah. So this is this is the world we live in. So the Jaeger program is now massive. Okay. There's like a dozen, you know, dozens of Jaegers, and they've all cool names like November Ajax and awesome. things like that. Um, and you've got this sort of flight school made up of like college age Top Gun style recruits. Okay. Into which they recruit a sort of young. They recruit a young girl who lives in junkyards and builds her own Jaegers. So a little bit Transformers there. Oh yeah, a little bit oh. right. Only she's about 16, 17. She gets recruited into the program, along with the well, that, wayward... That's a little bit Transformers, if you think That's a little bit, yeah. yeah. Along with the wayward son of Idris Elba's character from the first movie, Marshall uh-huh. Stacker Pentecost. Uh, okay. Okay. Meet his son, Captain Jake Pentecost, who was a Jaeger pilot himself, we're told. He was an aspiring Jaeger pilot. He tried to live, live up to his dad's image, embarrassed his dad. And then at some point, I think about, we're told about a month before the first film, right. he was sort of kicked out of the Jaeger program. Oh, okay. So prior to the events of the first movie, he was kicked out. He's now brought back because they recognize he's got the right stuff to lead a whole new generation. He has to team up with his old partner with whom he has a bad relationship, played by Scott Eastwood. And as they reunite, as he starts teaching, wouldn't you know it, the kaiju come back. But they don't come back right away. They come back on the heels of a seemingly evil Jaeger. Uh, We have a clip, and because they've not released many clips of actual dialogue from this film, for reasons we'll get to, um, this is what passing for a clip. It's mostly punching. We pissed him off. Good. You remember our old move? Hell yeah. So, yeah, kind of like that, really, for an hour and 51 minutes. Okay. Okay. Guillermo del Toro is obviously nowhere near this. Apparently, he had a story by credit. Now, I can believe that because this. On paper, if you took the exact plot for Civic Rim Uprising and put it on paper, what it actually looks like is actually, yeah, that's a pretty good idea for a sequel. Okay. You do that for like two and a half hours and you space it out and you put some good character stuff in there, you know what? You might have something here. All right. So I figure that's pretty much the exact conversation Guillermo del Toro had, and then he stopped working on this film. And then it went to the screenwriters. I've not actually looked up who wrote this one. It is actually written by Steve DeKnight. Okay, that's fair. Um, Steve DeKnight, who also directed this, and I kind of expect that, to be honest. Steve DeKnight had made a name for himself in not prestige television, but kind of well-regarded, cable kind of television, oh, like right. Spartacus, things like that. Yeah. So you kind of get an idea of the sort of tonal sensibility of where to take Pacific Rim, which is rather than the dark, murky, neon aesthetic of the first movie, yeah. you know, that works so well, that made everything look so punchy, yeah. no pun intended, <laughs> um, what he's gone for instead is, you know what, let's ditch the more fantastical, otherworldly stuff, and let's just focus on the fact that, my God, we got dudes and robots, yo. Let's do that. 
And the whole thing looks like uh, one of those, you know those Japanese uh, live-action fantasy kung fu shows that they splice up and put into Power Rangers episodes? Yeah. Yeah, that one. It looks like that all the time. But with relatively decently budgeted special effects and no context whatsoever of the sort of weight of physics. So, oh. for instance, you know how in Pacific Rim, the first one, you cared when a building get, gets knocked down? Yeah. Because you knew there were people in it? Yeah. Nah, not in this one. Oh. No, not in this one. Like the end of uh, a DC movie. Yeah, like the end, exactly like the end of a DC movie. Exactly. Yeah. It all feels so shallow, and it, it reminds you of back when they did the Power Rangers days, and you were watching dudes in suits, yeah. smashing up a polystyrene city. Yeah. Um, it feels like that, only now it's mo-capped. And it never has any weight to it. The only truly enjoyable thing about the film, for me, is John Boyega, who's got real star quality here. You're not actually playing the lead for a change. Yeah. Because when you think about it, he is always like the second lead. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Here, actually the lead, actually good, actually a star. Like, genuinely, I'd watch this guy in a franchise. Like, totally. Give him a different franchise, please. But, you know, and they do... I'm I'm not going to beat about the bush with this one, but the entire plot of this movie has been designed to set up a Pacific Rim 3 in much the same way that Independence Day had a sequel entirely constructed around, right, then that was to do the one we wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, more or less the exact setup, if we're honest. Um... Say, John Boyega, best thing in it, you've got a film that, frankly, doesn't care about the the, the lantern-jawed charm of the first movie. It's not trying to... I mean, this, I'm not saying it fails at it, because it doesn't try. It right. simply oh. doesn't try for it. It doesn't try for the brothers-in-arms, you know, antagonism of that first movie. It doesn't go for, you know what, let's just go for a like, Top Gun, but, like, 10% cheesier. Yeah. You know, but we've got, like, neon lighting. And robots. Like, doesn't go for that or any of that. It's, you went from having a movie that was aimed at 15-year-olds yeah. to having a sequel that's aimed at 10-year-olds. Oh. And all the dialogue is kind of plot-driven. It's all entirely exposition-based. There's a sequence involving Charlie Day that, I mean, you will have predicted. If you've even tried to predict, by the way, how the plot of the second movie even vaguely comes into being on the back of the first movie, there was literally only one story avenue you could have gone down. Yes, they go down it. No, they shouldn't have. If they had to, they should have done it later in the film, possibly even as the cliffhanger. And frankly, that would have worked better for a setup for a third movie. But no, the problem is it's pretty much it's a dull ride. That's the problem. And the one thing you could never say about Pacific Rim was that it was dull. It's disappointing. Oh, and no one Pillman either. I mean, shh, you lose. Like I mean, kick me when I'm down. I know we had a post credits and everything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a really good one. As well. But yeah, no, it just—it simply for me doesn't measure. Now I know as well there are, there is a there is a fan base out there, and I'm thinking of our friend Calvin. Yeah, who's what twenty two, twenty three? He's he's a child he's a in my child. Eyes. Yeah, yeah, he's grown up on anime and Gundam Wing stuff like that, and he seems to really like it as dumb fun. I couldn't quite get there. I found it too dull to be dumb fun, and I I can take dumb fun. Like if you're going to give me a Del Toro-less Pacific Rim sequel, yeah. And it's obviously not going to have that Del Toro quality. Fine, I expect that, but I at least expect to be entertained. And I wasn't. And there was a lot of sighing and looking at my watch. And and I never, never wanted to be able to say that about a sequel to Pacific Rim. Yeah. That, so that, that, is, that, that for me is a goddamn shame. It is, yeah. <laughs> uh, it really is. I was so looking forward to this. Alas, it is not our film of the week. 
for obvious reasons. It sucks. Um, <laughs> film of the week. Let's go with Unsane. Nice. That's impossible. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Unsane is our film of the week. If you can see that, absolutely do. You should definitely check it out. I mean, yeah. I think you and Kel would have a good time. Cool. Oh, by the way, because we're on mic now. Congratulations, by the way, on your recent engagement. Oh, thank you very much. Thank we've got you. to give you the public acknowledgement there. Yep. So uh, locking that down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next week, when Case will be back, so I think we might be doing it by remote. To be honest, uh, we've got the documentary "The Island and the Whales" to look forward to, okay. and then sticking with isles and islands and isles again, we've got the Isle of Dogs. Where's Anderson's new one, which is drawing rave reviews at the moment? All right, it's- we've got uh, Paddy Considine's boxing drama "Journeyman." Cool. Next week, which we previously we previously got confused with Journey's End, and very very different films. Yeah, really, yeah. We yeah. need to stop doing that. John Cena finally gets a comedy. Blockers is here. John Cena's finally a lead in a comedy. I'm in. Blockers is next week. Uh, we've got Midnight Sun as well. We've got the documentary Antonio Lopez 1970. Uh, we've got The Bachelors, and last but certainly by no means least, because you know the embargo's over. People have reviewed it. Ready Player One. Cool. Is, uh, is out next week as well. So uh, that's actually going to be out on the Thursday next week. So by the time you hear the show, it actually could be out. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's for the long weekend thing. Yeah, we've got the whole long weekend to look forward to. But uh, And whilst you're enjoying the long weekend, I'll be watching Death Wish with Bruce Willis. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Further proof that if there is a god... She doesn't like me and she doesn't really care much for cinema. Anyway, uh, so we've got all those to come and more next week off screen. This has been the Candy Store for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been John Coulson. And we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Lettuce people, like a lettuce woman, like a flying lettuce woman, yeah, made out of like Reese Witherspoon. And I've not even gotten to like Zach Galifianakis is like a yoga, you know, yogi. Do they call him yogi? Yeah, yogi's yeah. like a yogi dude who's like guarding some mystical cave and whatnot. So they've just got like an easygoing guy with a beard. Yeah, you know, and he's got he's doing that Hollywood thing they're all doing. You know, the sort of the, the middleweight ones, sort of like like to slim down a bit, where they're not actually skinny, yeah. but they're just sort of like passably chubby enough to, to look, look buff. You know, like Seth Rogen does a lot. Yeah, is it like um, yeah. uh, Dad Bod? Yeah, da- kind of like Dad Bod, but a li- little more streamlined. All right, like I'm trying. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, trying Dad Bod. Yeah, yeah totally that. <laughs> um, oh, and then there's like uh, Mindy Kaling, I want to say, you know, from the Mindy Project. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't stand the Mindy Project. I like her in The Office. I know it's not that I dislike Mindy Kaling. I like her perfectly fine in The Office. I just hate the Mindy Project. See, I love it. Um, really? Are you yeah, a Mindy Project guy? Mate, I'm not even going to lie. It's great. <laughs> Oh well, you know, to to each their own. I mean, I remember that. I remember enjoying the, uh, the the tragically enduring sitcom Gary Unmarried many years ago. But uh, yeah, some of the stuff you watch is just. I introduced you to L.A. to Vegas earlier, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, hey, hey. Dylan McDermott met Dermot Mulrooney. Okay, the stars finally aligned. Okay, it happened. It took 30, 40 years. It finally happened. That facial hair, though. That facial hair is amazing. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, like I say, um, oh, and then Mindy Kaling turns up in Wrinkle in Time and she's talk. she only speaks in quotes. Oh, come on. Like, the more you tell me about this film, the more ridiculous it is. I know, I know, I know. Like, people need to have a word. <laughs> have a word, Sam. <laughs> have a word, Sam. Who talks to plants? Uh, one of the plants, the plants uh, speak in colour. Yeah. So. Yeah. Terrible. Anyway, anyway, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, so, you know the Charlie Hunnam thing, right? So I didn't know this. Calvin texted me this afternoon. Wait, wait, wait. Because I didn't know that there was a, 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 
uh, uh, what's the word? Prequel? Prequel. I was thinking prelog. I'm like, that's Wait, not I didn't know. I didn't know. When I say prequel novel, I mean an actual novel, as in, yeah, you have to go with pages. How big we talking? Is it worth a read? Well, it's be like, it's no, apparently it's not worth a read. Um, <laughs> this is the joy of Calvin, isn't it? Yeah. So that's like Calvin tanks me. Because you know he will have read it. <laughs> in the film, in the film, they casually make a reference to dead heroes, and they include Raleigh Beckett. Right, with uh, Charlie Hunnam's stupidly accented character in the first movie. I never thought about the future. Like, what What are we doing here, Charles? Come on. Charles. Come on. <laughs> Charles. <laughs> He's British. He gets Charles. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> and I love him in Sons of Anarchy. You know I do. Yes. I adore could... him in Sons of Anarchy. He's so good. I think he would have been an amazing Christian Grey if they actually made good versions of those movies. But, you know, they, they were never going to. I still haven't seen those yeah, films. Just, 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 hey, hey, Pornhub's free, man. Just, <laughs> just put it out there. Anyway. Um, yeah, so Calvin texts me and yeah. says, this afternoon, says, you'll never guess how they're, how they're explaining Charlie Hunnam's death in-universe. What? How do you mean? Because obviously, is there something about the movie that I missed? No, there's this awful prequel novel doing the rounds, and apparently, the Antiverse, as it's now called, the the world in which the Pacific, the, the kaiju live. All right, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, oh, because they do that. They do that thing now where they have to create mythology. So you know yeah. the things that send the kaiju to our world. Yes, and they're called. Oh my god, what were they called? They have some ridiculously convoluted name, like something like the Encroachers or something like that. Right. The, pre- the-, the precursors. They're called precursors. Oh there's like three aliens at a console. Yeah. Are clearly sent- They're called precursors. They're the brains of the other universe, right? Men in black ripper. Yeah, kind of like that. Um, right. The antiverse that they live in apparently just gives you radiation cancer. You get you get radiation poisoning, you get cancer. And because uh, Charlie Hunnam was in it for you know a long period of time, that's how he died. He died of radiation poisoning from going through... Right, which is actually a shitter excuse when you think about it than the way in which they offed Will Smith in Independence Day. Like he died off screen as a test pilot. Yeah, oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was flying one of the new planes over the moon and crashed. That's and that's what we're told, and we're never told that specifically in the movie. It's in the marketing material for the movie that tells you that. Same thing here, where the marketing material is telling you Charlie Hunnam died of radiation poisoning, but it didn't get his his girlfriend, his love interest, or whatever, because she was all, she was shot out after like five seconds. So right. she's fine. She's in the movie as a character. That's she's fine. just lost the toe. Yeah, yeah, that's totally it. Yeah, yeah. that's why she didn't wear he- open toe heels. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, it'd be ridiculous. But yeah, it's terrible. That's a really crap way to offer a character. Really like overly grim as yeah. Well. <laughs> like how bleak is that? He died. Like so now we have to imagine Charlie Hunnam in bed for two weeks, yeah, just being really shiver- Ill. shivering and going paler and paler. Yeah. That's terrible. No, that's horrible. That's, I, I'm never going to enjoy Pacific Rim the same way again. I know, yeah. Like, you watch that. Like at the end, he says, "Oh, I never thought about the future." Like, well, you're not going to get to now, son. Give <laughs> 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 me dead in a fortnight, pal. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. I mean, whether or not he ever got a medal for it, we now don't know. It's horrible. Like, what's that about? That's, I don't like that. <laughs> that's, that's really crap, isn't it? That's a terrible way to end, uh, to, to add an addendum to the ending of a film. But uh, anyway, we've got one review we didn't do, by the way, which yes. is, and we've got a clip for it as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've seen this and I've seen this. Yes. So Westwood, punk icon activist. Yeah. Which reminds me of the way in which they refer to Ron Silver on Wikipedia as actor activist Ron Silver. <laughs> nice. Which is a great thing, and Case and I will now never stop using it. 
But uh, yeah, so uh, Vivian Westwood documentary. Yeah, which is basically a chronicle of Vivian Westwood. This is how she came to power. This is what she does now. This is what everyone thinks of her. Yeah, and yeah, that's pretty much the documentary. Uh, here's a clip. I think what you'll have to let me do is let me just talk and just get it over with. She's a rebel, isn't she? A punk rocker. Provocative. Iconic. She was like our queen. It's hard to imagine that one designer could be all of those things. Vivian Westwood. Vivian Westwood. <laughs> and she's a real treat, is old Viv. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, they kind of don't really make much of a secret about that in the film. They really don't. They they really play on the fact, you know what, she's a nasty piece of work. Like, she, she does not have time for your pleasantries. I know. And, I, I like, it... I don't know if they've cut it like that, or if she's just a bit of a dickhead. I think it's entirely possible. I mean, the, the film likes to play on the idea of, well, she's a genius, we allow her to be a dickhead. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. I mean, if we're going to get really technical and keep using the word dickhead, but, <laughs> which I don't think is particularly the uh, the most charming way to put it, I, know, yeah. I would say she is difficult as a person. I know, but try, it, it, you're right. It, they tried, they're like, oh, she's a genius, so you have yeah. to put up with this. It's like, um, to be fair... I didn't know anything about Vivian Westwood, really, yeah, before I saw the film. So I'm gathering you didn't either. No. I mean, we're, we're what? Two, two grown men in our 30s. Kind of just, that's really about what I would expect, to be honest. Yeah. Don't think either of us is expected to know an awful lot about any real fashion figure. We wear superhero t-shirts quite often. That's that's true. Well, I'm wearing a Rick and Morty shirt right now. I'm wearing an Anatomy Park t-shirt. Uh, you have a baseball jersey on. I'm wearing joggy bottoms in public. Yep, you are. <laughs> anyway, um, so this is the thing. There's not an awful lot that you can do with a Vivian Westwood documentary, unless she wants to start bearing her soul, which I don't think is really going to happen in a documentary she's explicitly, you know, officially involved with. Yeah. Um, there's some interesting depictions in there. I, I was quite fascinated, actually, by her husband. Yeah. You know, her younger husband. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that guy because it it's just a relationship I, I was just in, just hooked by. So, like, there's, there's, there's one sort of... Because she was, she was married to Mark, uh, Mark McLaren, wasn't she? Yeah. And then they divorced and she met the new one. Yeah. yeah. And then there's one sort of passing comment from her son hmm. who is so bored with the fact that he's doing this that he doesn't even look at camera. He does not. He really doesn't want to be there, does he? Like, and, and then, do you know, like, in documentaries when you're looking, you're not looking at the camera, but you're looking at who you're talking to. Yeah. And then you're looking where he's looking. Like, he's just looking <laughs> out of the room. It's like, mate, just pretend a little bit that you want to be here. This sort is waving a lollipop at him. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, something shiny in the corner. It's ridiculous. But um, he, he he makes like one passing comment about how much like he loves his mom, yeah. And and this new husband loved his mom, and he was like, oh yeah, that's nice. And then that that's it. And and then you just meant to accept. <laughs> he doesn't just say that. He actually says, well, I thought, oh, yeah, that's nice. Less effort for me. Yeah. And you're like, brilliant. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing I would say. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, mm. he, he really... You re- didn't care. <laughs> he didn't care which was there. Yeah. So I was camera's pointing at me. It must be Tuesday. Um... <laughs> I just say, I mean, I was fascinated by uh, the exploration of her relationship with her husband, but I don't think there was enough of that. Like, it seemed like that was an integral part of, like, what made her her. Yeah. What, adla- what enabled her to behave like she does. A lot of it seems, you know, it seems to come from the positive reinforcement of the husband, who seems to actually believe in her. Yeah. In that actual personality. And you think, like, okay, I-, I would like to see more of that. Please explore it for me. It kept hinting that it was mm. going to as well. Yeah. And it'd be like, oh, they work together. Uh, it's actual, like... 
working together really hands on and then it did seem to be didn't it yeah and then you're like oh so it's gonna it's gonna tell me something and then it just moves on again it does yeah kind of like wrinkle in time though yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh but say I, I mean i wasn't bored by it i was intrigued but it held my interest you know there was enough to it to, to basically hold my interest and i did learn stuff i didn't know but i think that's to do with my age and gender i think vivian westwood's interesting i don't think the documentary was oh that's fair that's fair okay i'll give you that since, you know, you only got to review, like, two films this week. Yeah. I saw Game Night. That was awesome. <laughs> Game Night was awesome. Can Jesse Plemons please get some, some cred yeah. for, for Game Night? Because that, that was amazing. Yeah. I really want to see that again. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to see Black Panther again, though, first. But just because it needs my love before Infinity War comes oh, out. And oh. by the way, have you seen that latest trailer? Oh, my God. You know, I don't do trailers. So I tried it. Yeah. And I was like, mm, this is why I don't do trailers. What? Why? Because there's not really any plot in there. I mean, I can piece together a plot that's in there, but, you know, you you might not. Yeah, well, it just makes me want to ask questions, which will probably lead to possible spoilers, and I'm just like, <laughs> no. Fair, fair. Yeah. Okay, absolutely fair. Okay, let's sweep through some news and see what we got. Uh, there's a trailer out for Hotel Transylvania 3. Who cares? Um... <laughs> You know what? The first one, me and Kel love it. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't hate the, the Hotel Transylvania movies. I, I find them like, just, they're, they're fine. The first one's great. They're just kind of there. Yeah. You know, it's like the Ice Age movies. I'm not particularly offended by the existence of Ice Age 9 or whatever the next one's going to be. Yeah. But, you Nine. know, <laughs> it must, because it's on like five or six now. It's got to have done. made through the Ice Age. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like MASH. It just outlasts the war. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you know that one. MASH, which was set during the Korean War, when? went on for 11 seasons, and the Korean War went off for like six years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was just the easiest thing to do at the time. Um, they are making a sequel to Backdraft. I'm not making this up. Why? Well, I don't know. Now, here's the funny thing. I, I found the story. Like, I love Backdraft, you know, because I'm, I'm of that age. when back, I remember Backdraft being the big blockbuster that was out that year. And okay. it was, I think it's the last big blockbuster I can remember before Terminator 2 came oh. and changed my life forever. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Anyway, um, <laughs> please no Avatar sequels, please. Anyway, uh, so uh, Backdraft, remember it being this big summer blockbuster. Kind of, well, I don't know if it was summer specifically, but uh, now they're making a sequel. It is going to follow the now adult son of Kurt Russell. Character. This is presumably for uh, for money purposes. Well, the thing is, uh, I'll get I'll get into the motivations. But say to follow uh, Kurt Russell's character's son. Okay, uh, now grown up, working with his uncle. So Billy Baldwin is returning. Nice. Yeah. Well, I don't know whether he's still nailing chicks on the top of moving fire trucks. All right. And if he's still doing that, I don't know. I don't know if De Niro's like me around. I think I don't know. Um, and he teams up with his uncle, and he has to. Uh, he gets involved with arms dealers who are setting fires as distractions or something. Right. So yeah. Um, here's the funny thing. Like I say, I remember Backdraft. I was a childhood fan. Couldn't wait to be old enough to actually watch it properly because it came out when I was like, you know, seven, seven, eight years old. And then um, I remember the ride. Always wanting to go on the ride in Universal Studios. Yeah. Right. Okay. I text the story to Calvin. Like, Can you believe this? They're making a Backdraft sequel. He goes, "What on earth is Backdraft?" And I had to explain it to him. And they went, you know, there was, I t- told him the movie, and I went, and, you know, it stars Kurt Russell, Billy Baldwin has sex on top of a moving fire truck, and it stars Kurt Russell. <laughs> and, and then I followed that up with, also, you know, it was a big thing at Universal Studios for, like, you know, at least a decade, you know, big fire pyrotechnics. Thing. He hit back with, oh, my God, when I was seven, I went to that ride. I went on that ride. I never knew what it was for. I went, so you went on a ride at Universal Studios and just didn't assume there was a movie behind it. Like, even at seven, you would. 
No, I've, I've, well, yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, you'd assume there was a movie, but I mean, I've been on rides that I've not seen films. Well, just you, you second me then. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have a train to Busan? Um, yeah, right. I've only seen like fifteen minutes of it. It's so good. It's and on Prime. It was yeah. It's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, Kel was watching it, mm. and and I like sort of wandered in, and then realised, oh, I want to watch this, so then wandered off because <laughs> she was like well into it. Well, get it put on. It's a great movie. Right. Uh, they are remaking it in the English language at why? some point. Why? I don't know why. Like, you can do that with a raid. Like why? I, I don't know. I don't know. At least Train to Busan almost makes more sense in the English language than the raid does. The raid only really makes sense because it is the native fighting style of the country in which it is set. Yeah, that's a fair what's, one. What's the LA version going to be? Yeah. A couple of throat stabs? I mean, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Drive by in a. It's going to be like the Detroit version, uh, the Miami version. Where's where, where would you set the raid in a Pittsburgh? Probably Pittsburgh or something like that. Everyone fights with glass bottles, but you know, something like that. Anyway, so Train to Busan. Remember that? Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Also going to be remade in English uh, at some point. Um, it's going to become a virtual reality game. You're going to be able to play Train to Busan in virtual reality. Right. Like, I'm I'm seriously jumpy in real life. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not about this virtual reality <laughs> stuff. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the guy that, you know, gets found crying. Like, oh, what happened? Oh, he played this game. Like, yeah. In fact, there's certain games that my friends are like, yeah, I wouldn't play that if I were you, John. Really? Yeah, because they're really jumpy. Are you that bad? Oh, I'm so bad. Well, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, mind you, remember that time we watched Event Horizon? It was your first time ever seeing Event Horizon. Terrifying film. It, it, well, it's, it's pretty excessive. <laughs> but there was a great moment in which uh, you used a dodgy iPhone charger that I'd bought online. And uh, you plugged it in next uh, in, in the socket next to where you were sat on the couch. And then just as it got to a really jumpy bit of the film, sparks shot out the plug socket, the power died in the house, and we were sat in complete darkness. Yeah. That was fantastic. Some I couldn't serious, have planned that if I tried. Some serious <clears throat> words. <laughs> <laughs> you were absolutely terrified. Oh my god! Like, yeah, like next level fear. That happened. was that was absolutely that was that was interactive <laughs> horror experience level right. stuff. You remember that happening? That's why I don't want VR games. That's why I've never invited you to uh, Secret Cinema. Yeah, I know. Like, which you should go to. By the way, they're awesome. No, so good. I'm the idiot that will like. I got a PR invite. You might be interested in. We're going to go to an abandoned shopping centre in Reading and be chased by zombies. Like in two weeks' time. It's over the Easter break. You want to come? We're going to go and get chased by zombies in a supermarket, in a shopping mall. Wait, if you don't judge me for crying, then I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like a Dawn of the Dead experience. That sounds terrifying. That sounds amazing. I think I'll cry. I can't wait. What, for me crying or the experience? Well, I mean, I, I've always wanted to see you cry. I'm not going to lie. I'm, you're just kind, gonna, of a, you're gonna I'm trip, kind of a masochist. If you're going to trip me and then watch from a distance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, Amy Poehler's going to direct a movie for Netflix. Yeah, carry on. It's called Wine Country. I don't know much more about <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. uh, it. There's a trailer out for the sequel to Unbroken. Who cares? Uh, oh, because the Weinsteins are now bankrupt. The Weinstein company is now bankrupt. Yes. All of its non-disclosure agreements that it made all the staff sign, so right. they couldn't tell everyone what Harvey was up to. Yeah. Yeah, they're all voided. Oh, wow. Yeah, so expect some serious stories coming. Oh, it's going to get naughty. It's going to get like this. Like, I tell you something, if ever they were going to make a movie about Harvey Weinstein, it's pro- it might actually, ironically, the com- best company to have distributed that one probably would have been the Weinstein Company. Oh. Imagine that. Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Now we're never going to get to see Paul Giamatti in that Weinstein movie about Harvey Weinstein. 
No, I'm, I'm, sp- I'm imagining it. That wouldn't. That's not actually a thing that's been rumored or anything. Well, just, how how awesome would it be, though? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, well, that's what I'm saying. I, d- I didn't say a word. I just, yeah, <laughs> Harvey Weinstein assaulting women, played by Paul Giamatti. Let's get those Oscars ready. <laughs> you know, wouldn't happen, would it? No, no. Um, have you seen this? There's really bizarre. Uh, I, we don't do celebrity gossip stuff, but there's uh, there's a pair of images this week of uh, of Charlie Hunnam, okay. and I, I want to share these with you because I think they are the greatest thing on the internet this week. Um, this is a picture of Charlie Hunnam on holiday with his friend. His friend is Garrett Headland. Oh. Right. This is this is seriously them broing out on holiday. Look! Look at the fun in Charlie Hunnam's face. That's a strong double that's, leg that, takedown. And look! Look at that pin. Look at that pin. He has pinned him down. That's 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 a friendship right there. But uh, I can't, that, that, like he looks so happy. He does. He does, doesn't he? He looks like he's never been happier in his life. I think that's great. I don't think he's read the uh, prequel novel to. <laughs> Yeah, no one's told him about what happened to his character in Pacific Rim, so he can still enjoy a good day. (laughs) That's totally it. (laughs) I want to point out, right, the face of Charlie Hunnam has literally... This is not a spoiler or anything. There's literally no connection between the existence of Charlie Hunnam and the plot of Pacific Rim Uprising. Like, we are talking about an offhand mention of his character. That is it. It's just ridiculous. It's it's the most insane thing. By the way, I'm magic. <laughs> it's kind of like that. <laughs> you know Ving Rhames? Yes. Right, so Ving Rhames has got the weirdest new job. Ving Rhames is going to go to television. He is going to play the captain of the police precinct in a modern set reboot of Cagney and Lacey. Remember Cagney and Lacey? What your mum used to watch when was, you were really young. I was going to say, it's references from like my parents. And yeah. Stuff, yeah. That's, that's good. The captain's going to be uh, Ving Rhames. That's... Kind of a weird one. Yeah, okay. I, I think I sent you the trailer. Right. Did I send you the trailer for Tag? I think you did. Right. But I did that thing, you know, where you read something and then you're like, oh, okay. I watched it. Yeah, yeah. It's out finally. Now, anyone who listens to the show religiously, and I, I, I mean, there must be there must be one nerd out there living in a cupboard. Do you Someone, know, someone's got to be bored enough. You know, I listen. That's, I know. Oh, wait, that's what I said. Yeah. The, the nerd in the cupboard. Who? Yeah. <laughs> This is supposed to fill the void of his wow. soul. <laughs> That's why you got married. That's why you're getting married, isn't it? Yeah, and you're just looking for something else to fill that void because you know it's never getting filled. <laughs> I did have a point. What the yeah. hell was it? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, that was it. Tag. We were talking about tag. Okay. Oh, yeah. Anyone who listens might remember about 18 months, two years ago, there was film news that they were adapting for the screen a true story that I absolutely adored. And the true story was a group of college friends who played tag. They didn't just play tag. They actually never stopped. It was a never-ending game of tag. And what they did was enforce rules in it. So the game could only take place between the beginning and end of May each year. This This is incredible. Yeah. This went on for decades. And the rules were such that there were no rules. It would just resume. When May ended, whoever was it stayed it until the beginning of May the following year, then had to track, track down and say, this spanned the United States. This is incredible. This didn't just span the length of the country. It went to the extreme that when one of them got a job running a, I forget which one it was, one of them ran one of the massive technology companies, like Microsoft or Facebook or something. Beautiful. Right? Actually ran one of them, like the CEO Beautiful. of this company is involved in this game of tag. The person who was it 
broke into the building, <laughs> breached a building security, and tagged him. Oh, that's so And good. I believe escaped. <laughs> they turned up at funerals, they turned up at weddings, christenings, hospital stays, everything. Hospital. This went on for years. Hospital stays. <laughs> Uh, here's where it gets better for you. Okay. Uh, Nick from New Girl is in the movie. Oh, yes! Yeah, Nick from New Girl, John Hamm, Hannibal Buress, Ed Helms, and in a, in a, in a role that you knew was going to be hilarious and looks like it actually is, Jeremy Renner. Nice! Yes. The trailer for this is out now. It is called Tag. It came out like two days ago. I'm so looking forward to this. I kind of want to stop doing what we're doing to just watch it. Uh, I'll show it you. It's a trailer that doesn't actually show you an awful lot. It looks like it's going to be a slightly more sentimental film than you'd think. Oh. But uh, it, is a, it is a comedy, so like a frat pack kind of comedy. Yeah. But it looks like they are going to lean down on the sentiment of it, namely the fact that the game has kept them together for all yeah. these years. Oh, cool. um, yeah, fair enough. That's an emotional anchor point. But yes, you're, you're going to love it. It's out this summer. I can't wait. Jeremy Renner as a tag player. It, it's going to be amazing. Um, the director of uh, Lego Ninjago is going to do a live-action Lady in the Tramp. Why? Uh, I don't know. I just, I give up. I despair. Why are we live-action? Like, just why? Just <laughs> Like, what is the possible need? I mean, like, uh, my childhood got stumped with Jungle Book. Oh, God, yeah, you and the Jungle Book. Dude, that film was shit. Fair, fair. Original, you go there, you go for it. Original, fantastic... Remake, shit. You know when you do that, you go a bit Craig Robinson. Oh, I was so angry about it. They they might revive the Matrix as a franchise. Why? It was great. Oh no, it won't. Like uh, the, the third was shit. Hey, hey, they're going to revive Indiana Jones as a series. There's going to be a fifth one in April 2019. So yeah, Harrison Ford will be 73 years old. Your dog will be happy about him. <laughs> <laughs> she won't. <laughs> uh, Sicario Soldado is now going to be known as Sicario Day of the Soldado. Okay. Don't know why. Uh, First one was great, though. Uh, Steven Spielberg has said he will not digitally enhance his old films, despite the fact that he already did it with E.T. I don't know if you remember this. In 2002, E.T. returned to cinemas with the shotguns removed digitally and replaced with walkie-talkies. <clears throat> you know earlier when I said I've been on rides and I've not seen the film? Yeah. E.T. You've never seen E.T.? Dude. What the hell is wrong with you? I know. Don't slap me like you did for Terminator. Yeah. No, 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 no. You text through the future war. You didn't look up from your phone at all. <laughs> if you'd looked up once, I would have let it go. The future war. Do you understand what that means? Never mind. I'm just, I'm just, just not going to go. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, there's uh, no future necessarily immediate on a Rick and Morty season four. Not necessarily going to happen. I don't think that's really film relevant. But. It's not, but I'm a big fan of things ending, especially TV shows. Like, end on a high. Don't ruin it. No. No, I don't want that. I want Rick and Morty to run forever. I want every five years for there to be a new season of Rick and Morty so that for 13 episodes, I can know perfection. Yeah, no, but what if it sucks? Well, if it's every five years, it wouldn't necessarily, would it? No. Yeah, this 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 is a strong chance. <laughs> Have you seen? We I forgot to mention this. We were talking about Jeremy Renner. Yeah, <laughs> right. So Jeremy Renner, um, <laughs> you know, there were some new posters like a week ago for uh, Infinity War. Yeah, like yeah, character. There's, there's a big main poster and everyone's on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. except Hawkeye. And yeah, this got noticed, and someone put on Twitter, "Oh look, Hawkeye's not in it again." Someone replies with, uh, "Yeah, because Jeremy Renner's boring." No one, and, and they realise he's boring, and they don't want him there. Jeremy Renner replied to that. I wish someone <laughs> had let me know so I could stay home and be comfy whilst I'm boring. 
Fair enough. Are they making a movie about Shia LaBeouf? Just don't know really why you would, but... Didn't a bit back, didn't he sit and watch all of his movies? He did, and so he, I'd argue... And he cringed. Yeah. So why do we have to watch a movie about him when he cringes at his own movies? Well, here, here's why, where I draw the line as well. They've cast Lucas Hedges, the young brother from uh, Manchester by the Sea and uh, the son from Three Billboards. Uh, he's going to play young Shia LaBeouf. And all I'm going to say is, uh, on behalf of a friend of mine, I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm sorry, where was Alex Zane's invitation? Alex Zane playing Shia LaBeouf is the most obvious bit of casting I've ever seen in my life. Accent difference. <laughs> I think he could put it on. Get a few drinks in him, he could do it. Get a few drinks. <laughs> a few drinks in Alex, he could put on Charlotte's accent. <laughs> I'm not kidding. If he got a haircut and they gave him a little bit of a Jufro, he could he could play Shia Buff. He absolutely be perfect as Shia Buff. I mean, he'd have to give up his hair and his designer stubble for a while, but you know, I'm sure he'd make do. <laughs> I mean, it grows. So it, <laughs> it does. It comes back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. Um, I don't really think there's an awful lot. Oh, John Cho also is going to star in that reboot of The Grudge, by the way. Uh, let's just call him by his name. Sulu slash Harold from Harold and Kuma. Yeah. Yeah. That's his actual name. Let's <laughs> not really call him anything else. Those films are awesome. Oh, man. I, I really want a fourth Harold and Kuma. Yeah. I really do. I think it's been enough time. Because... It could it could soak the. <laughs> I mean, it was wasn't it 2011? Harold and Kumar's 3D Christmas was like 2011, wasn't it? Um, I'm sure it was like the first year I was reviewing. It might have been. Might have, it, beca- like it became your. It's been your like alternative Christmas. One of your alternative Christmas films. Yeah, use that and Bad Santa every year. Yeah, Bad Santa. Bad Santa's a classic. Oh, that Bad Santa and the Ref. Those are my alternative Christmas films. Do you just class Die Hard as just a Christmas film? It's not alternative, yeah. it's just Christmas. Just Christmas, yeah. yeah. It's not really an alternative Christmas film. No, it's just Christmas. I mean, I've got a Christmas storybook version of Die Hard in the box on the floor behind you. So, yeah, it's it's pretty much accepted as being a Christmas film. I saw it on the big screen recently again. Did Die you? Hard. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. yeah. It's still, like, still one of the films that you need to see on a big screen. I Actually, speaking of the big screen, I, I, I'm, tr- I'm tiptoeing around the idea of going to that uh, Albert Hall uh, Star Wars performance. That would be incredible. With the orchestra? Yeah. that's That's got to be a great way to see Star Wars. That will be incredible. But uh, bear in mind, of course, you know, we're a month away from what I'm sure will be the greatest multimedia screening in the history of multimedia screens when the Avengers are back, yo! <laughs> Can't wait. You know, the pressure is like a day before the actual release. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know what they're doing with that one. So, uh, mm. I'm looking forward to it, though. Could all be one of those Tony Stark Infinity War hoodie things that he wears. Oh, that's unlike you to Unlike me, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't spend excessive amounts of money on Tony Stark merchandise at all. <laughs> no. I don't lay awake at night silently crying to myself <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> that trailer is seriously badass, though. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's totally worth checking out. I'm looking forward to it. Um, by the way, um, I, I had no by the way. I, I it was it was completely off topic. I was about to say, by the way, did you see last week's John Oliver? And I was just going to say, no, it has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. Why am I bringing up? <laughs> it's just us two talking now. <laughs> it's kind of just us talking now, yeah. Oh, Amit Asante's got a new job. She's going to be in Billy, she's going to be directing Billion Dollar Spy. Okay. That's that's a thing. That's happening. Uh, well, oh, oh, hang on. I know what we didn't do. I don't think we talked about it last week. Ava DuVernay, uh, who did, obviously, Wrinkle in Time, uh, she's going to direct New Gods okay. for DC. Right. Brace yourself for this, and right, then wait, wait. and, and just. as you do, just remember <clears throat> what it is that she's currently got in cinemas. Okay, so New Gods is a DC movie 
This is going to be part of the DC universe, right? It is set on the planet Apocalypse, as far as I know. Okay. Right, which is like a hell planet. Yeah. And it is ruled over by Darkseid, who was meant to be the villain of Justice League Part 2, I believe. But then, obviously, that movie's not happening. Okay. And it's all about, like, his minions on that world and their little evil society. Right. Yeah. And it includes characters like Granny Goodness... And and, and uh, Steppenwolf, and who's dead now, presumably. But yeah, I was going to say, hmm. yep. Yeah, so we've got that to look forward to. Just, I, I think they're clutching at straws a bit. I mean, great, great for getting Ava DuVernay to do it. That's fantastic. But Ava DuVernay couldn't work with Marvel, presumably because of restrict restrictions on her filmmaking. Obviously, DC are obviously giving her a wide berth, but we've seen Wrinkle in Time. It's not going to be any good. If you get excited more about the director than the actual film. <laughs> Yeah, there's that, I know. That's an issue. Yeah, that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that, that kind of tells you you're not in for a good time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, anyway, on which note, should we uh, wrap it up? Yeah. Okay, we? on which note then, here it is, your moment of cage. Sempre un amabile, leggiadro viso, impianto il riso, in menzognero. La donna è molto, qualche malvento, l'unità da cento e di pensiero, e di pensiero. Ba 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 